Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I'm WFAE's David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got reelected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's episode 95 of R&D in the QC. Uh, We are in the midst of uh, a new normal and our second week of social distancing. And today we had the news of the Mecklenburg County stay at home order. And Larkin and I are gonna do our best to break that down and gather your questions. We are back, like I said, episode 95, Larkin, welcome back to the show, to the program. It's been quite a week, has it not? Yeah, it has, and uh, I think culminated in an order today that a lot of people are probably not surprised by, um, but we're just eager to, uh, a lot of people I think were eager for that order to to come um, and I think that it, there's a lot we'll discuss here too about it, it being just a countywide order right now and not a, a statewide order. So, um, again, so where do we no start? one should be surprised given all that's happened with so many other states across the country uh, that Mecklenburg, may, Mecklenburg and the city of Charlotte and other municipalities in Mecklenburg County made this decision today. But um, it has generated a lot of questions, I know, for both of us and I'm sure most of our colleagues because... Uh, it's just impossible to anticipate every specific question everyone will have. Um, and so we're fielding those now. So, you know, l- let's just start with the basics and then we can maybe provide some color commentary. I've got, you know, with all the questions we've bombarded with, and I can only ma- imagine the counties getting hit even harder, right? Given that this is th- their direct kind of line of sight. Um, but like, it, I I have some frustrations on one side of like, could could we have made things more clear and avoided some of this? But on the other side, this was an impossible task to begin with. And I've got to stand behind our county partners and just say, like, what what would we have done if we had to make that decision? It was speed better than than essentially now we're going to spend the next couple of days getting clarity and answer questions? I mean, do you have an initial gut reaction on that right now? And then let's dive into it. I mean, I speaking for myself only, I think that there was – an anticipation that something might happen more broadly and that would negate the need for a local action. Um, being that that didn't come and being that I think Mecklenburg County is in a u- unique position uh, already up over a hundred cases. Now, I believe we are the number one County in terms of number of confirmed cases in the state of North Carolina. Um, half the counties in the state of North Carolina have confirmed cases, but we have the most. And I think one of the unique things that the county health director pointed out the other day was a large percentage of the cases that we have here in Mecklenburg County are younger folks. They're 20s, 30s, 40s. They're people who are not necessarily the high-risk group. Um, And what that demonstrated to her, and I think she's probably right, and she didn't say it quite this frankly, but, um, but I will, is that 
it, it demonstrates that people who are not in the high risk groups are not taking this seriously enough. Yeah. And while that might not lead to a bad outcome for them, if they were to contract the virus, it does mean that they are out there spreading the virus. <clears throat> and I think that there's a lot of people who are concerned that if, if there's a large percentage of our population not taking this seriously and not heeding these suggestions that had been made strong suggestions that have been made that maybe it needed to be more forceful and that's where we got to today and it is a stay-at-home order um there's not a lot of practical difference to that in a shelter in place though shelter in place is often used for natural disasters and things but so why don't we just start let, let me start and i'll go through the basic you can you can't list and then maybe you can start us off with some of that gray area and interpretations and all the things we're getting peppered with. But this well, let me give the definition before you get to the list. So the, the order, um, and we can post this to, I know you've posted some of this stuff already, but the frequently asked questions, what is the order? It means that movement is restricted for all residents of Mecklenburg County to stay at their place of residence, except that they may leave to provide or receive essential services. Now that's the gray area we'll talk about later or engage in essential activities, also a gray area we'll touch on, and work for essential businesses and government services. It restricts travel upon public streets, alleys, roadways, other property, except by those in need of medical assistance, food or other commodity or service necessary to sustain the well-being of themselves or their families or some member thereof. So talk about some of what is expressly uh, deemed essential and what is expressly deemed uh, non-essential. You got it. So starting Thursday morning, I believe, and then ending at this point. And I think it'll be tracked on a daily basis, looking at the data to figure out how, how it's going through April 16th, at least. You can go to the grocery store, convenience store, or warehouse store. You can go to the pharmacy to pick up medication and other healthcare necessities. Visiting a healthcare professional for medical services that can't be provided virtually. Call first, says there. Go to a restaurant for takeout delivery or drive through. I think you made an important point to me <clears throat> earlier today, which is what's the difference now in food and in restaurants and getting food in any capacity today after this versus what the, with the governor's last statement, it doesn't seem like much, right? For now. No, I, I think what might be different. Um, and you might've said it, I was, I was reading a question we got asked that I'll address here in a second, but um now it says food for, it does still say takeout. And so I guess, you know, if people are just making that trip to pick up the food, uh, that's fine. Delivery is certainly fine. So really from where we sit today on Tuesday to when this goes into effect at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning, there is not a practical difference in terms of what the restaurants are able to do from what they're currently able to do. Um, but again, it just needs to be that trip. Same as to the grocery store, to the drugstore you're making that trip directly to where you need to go to get specifically what you need to get. And then you're returning to your home. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, auxiliary trips in between while you're, while you're out and about. Exactly. Good. We'll go a little deeper <clears throat> there in a minute, but uh, other things you can do um, care or support a friend or family member, uh, take a walk, ride your bike, hike, jog, or be in nature for exercise. Just keep at least six feet between you and others. This one has been abused around here and you know, the problem is everybody recreates at the same places. And so the rail trail and freedom park and a couple others, um, were apparently just packed even more than they're normally packed. And they're normally pretty busy. Um, my wife and I went and did a, a little hike in the woods. We specifically went somewhere where there's almost never anybody there. And that was still the case. Uh, so I'm not going to give up our secret hike spot, but, um, 
within Charlotte city limits. So maybe don't go to the places that you're accustomed to being so crowded because it is really difficult to maintain social distance while doing that. Um, you know, maybe go, it's, it's a good opportunity get on the Mecklenburg County parks and rec website and find something that you haven't been to before. Um, don't, don't just go to the ones that everybody else is thinking to go to. We'll get into your secret hike spot later, but, um, I would say that the, on the east uh, side. yeah, I would say that the, uh, the one thing about this, if we looked at themes for each weekend, the weekend before last, the first real weekend that we were f- experiencing this, the theme seemed to be social media posting and pictures of younger people overwhelming the bars, right? I mean, just overwhelming. And that was not a good look. I think this last weekend was people overwhelming green spaces and, 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 and not following the social distance guidelines. So if you have anything you can be doing to make sure that you prevent that from happening, um, please, please do so. Don't make ne- this next weekend be another theme where people are not um, following the social distancing. I'll burn through the rest of these really quickly uh, so we can get to the content. Again, you can read all of these and we'll post all the, the, the list, but um, you can uh, walk your pets and take them to the veterinarian if necessary, help someone get necessary supplies, receive deliveries from any business which delivers um, you should not, I don't know how you, I think that's worded wrongly, go to work unless you are providing essential services, uh, go to work unless you are providing essential services defined by this order. So you can, this is very weirdly. No, these are things that you're not permitted. Under no, no, order. it says you can, and I'm reading off you can. No. And then it says you should not. Yeah. I'm not to that section yet. Am I? You should not go to work unless you're oh, providing you essential not. services. Is oh, defined. You should not visit family and friends if there's no urgent need. You sh- should not maintain less than six feet of distance from others when you go out. You should not visit loved ones in hospitals, nursing homes, skilled care. Most of those are actually being enforced at the facilities. They wouldn't let you do that anyway now. You should not travel except for essential travel and activities. And we did get one question I want to address before we move too much further, which is, do we have the most cases because we have the largest population of any county in the state? Uh, we are just kind of 1A and 1B with Wake County in terms of population. So undoubtedly, our higher population is a large part of the reason that we have a higher number of cases. That said, there are 50 counties or 51 counties in the state out of 100 that don't have any confirmed cases yet. So it's not simply that we have the largest population and thereby we have a proportional amount more confirmed cases. Um, That is part of it, but it's still a concern. And again, with having like an uptown core where we have so many of our large companies and businesses that are congregating employees in a, in a very um, dense sense, it is impossible to, to create that social distance in that area. I just want to prove, uh, and and I think this goes back to my broader, my broader slight frustration, but again, you can't be overly frustrated with how this is shaken up. Here's what I'm reading from. And this was the formal PDF that, that was provided to us city council members, but like, it, I mean, it, it switches to you should not right there and it's a PDF. So I think that just broadly, more broadly articulates people are moving incredibly fast right now to get things out, to try to make an impact on this. I do not hold it against them, but it, I think it just more formally articulates the, the point of view, which is there was a lot more questions than answers uh, at the beginning of this. And we all need to come together to make sure we, uh, we get that, get that figured out. I hope that one of the things that crossed my mind today, um, 
I had some time to listen to our friend Tim Boyum, who hosts Capital Tonight. You poured yourself a glass of wine. I should have done that. Um, hey man, only they can uh, you, they can only see you right oh, now. Sorry, you, you don't want to see me. Thanks for that. Uh, Tark for that just took out. a big swig at from a giant Appreciate glass it. of it's wine. Been a, it's been a really really long day, so um, I was trying to stay off camera for that. But thanks. Lord. Our friend Tim Boyum's podcast, tying it together, which is awesome, and anybody who listens to our podcast, I think, would enjoy it as well. It's basically kind of what we do at um, at a state level. But he they were interviewing someone today who's one of the lead researchers at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill developing the um, antibodies and the vaccines and the whatever. And, and obviously this is not my field of expertise, but they said, she said, this is something that, you know, is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Now, part of what she said, there are often questions about why was SARS back in, I believe 2002 considered so much, you know, why was it not as big of a deal as what we're dealing with now? Or why did the media, you know, there's this sense that the media is blowing this out of proportion compared to how they covered a SARS in 2002. Well, part of that is, according to this person who has dedicated her life to be an expert on this stuff, um, and experts are people we should listen to, she said that with SARS, people got sick so quickly and they got so sick that they essentially were immobile. And so they would get, uh, they would exhibit the symptoms very, very quickly. They would not be uh, going out in the community because they'd be bedridden almost immediately. The problem with this is it takes a while for those symptoms to, um, for you to exhibit those symptoms. And then you're already out while you've got uh, the virus, you're already out and you're spreading it. So the spread is that much worse uh, while SARS was equally, or maybe even more dangerous. If you got it, um, you knew you had it so quickly that it really limited the ability for it to spread. I'd highly recommend anybody who's interested in the more scientific components of coronaviruses, um, how this compares to SARS or MERS uh, to go and listen to that episode of tying it together with Tim Boyum. Uh, I believe it was just a couple of days ago that they posted. But one of the things that she said that struck me was this is not something we should think will never happen again. Um, this is something that can happen again. So I hope that in the midst of all of this, to your point, people are scrambling to pull together lists of things you can and can't do in a stay at home order or we're pulling together resources to help small businesses when we have to close bars and restaurants at a statewide level. I hope that somebody in the midst of all of this is putting together a playbook that we can come back to when this happens again in four years, eight years, 28 years, whenever it happens, it, she said, we should expect this to happen again sometime. And if we aren't more prepared next time than we were this time, and I don't mean we the city or we the county, I mean we, the country collectively and the world collectively, um, then we, we really have missed a, an opportunity because we are creating things now that aren't to your point. They're not perfect because we're creating them quickly to try to address needs and concerns quickly. But, um, let me we just shouldn't have to do this scramble drill again next time. Agreed on that front. And, and I think there's two points that I, I think are really important to make. And then let's go back to the tactics of, you know, the stay at home order and what that means. But point one is this, if you still need to be convinced why you shouldn't be congregating in large masses right now. Something is wrong with you. In the end, at the end of this episode, there might be a couple thousand views and people around town that end up seeing this. The, if you, need, you need to make sure this word is out there and those people need to understand. Like, if you're still trying to figure out what, and compare, well, do I really need to be out or not? Like, it's fine, just, just take care of yourself inside your own home because you're endangering a lot of people. And that brings me to the second point, which is I, I did research like many did 
Clark, and I know you looked it up and did a lot of research. I know Matthew Ridenauer and many others were doing incredible amounts of research beforehand. And I was of the mindset for a long time. It was torn either way of, do we, do we try to protect the elderly, protect those at risk while also making sure that we build the herd immunity so that we can get through this and don't crush the economy or do we shelter more in place and do things like that? And I think the thing that really kind of got me in the end of that was our hospital system locally and nationwide and really worldwide is not set up to be able to handle the volume that's going to be coming towards it. Right now, we're still experiencing the pain in Charlotte that is the clog of testing volume, right? Pretty soon, if everything keeps tracking where we're going, that's going to be that, hospital beds. change, exactly. And it's going to become beds. It's going to become space. It's going to become masks inside there. And it's become, going to become what has, has been described, and again, on this battlefront as the most critical resource and asset, which is the ventilators. For those at risk, the ventilators are going to make the difference between someone who lives and dies. And the flattening of that curve, a lot, and, and we flatten the curve by extending it out and it hurts the economy more, but having less people get it over time and spreading that out. So while, while we'll make sacrifices and the small business sacrifices are literally soul crushing to me this week, today, what I've heard, what we're trying to help with, it's terrible. At the same time, we have to balance that with what we see elsewhere in the world of doctors deciding who it is that is going to live and die based on the limited resources they have of ventilators to keep people alive. And our hospitals, our particular major hospitals here already knew they had a need for more bed capacity at their hospitals. And that's why we're in the middle right now of a rezoning atrium's doing to try to add to their bed count at their main campus of, of their hospital. So that's a need that was already there, but it is, um, certainly been very exposed and, and something that is a lot more top of mind for people right now. Um, then we will, me, we will reach that ability or that um, capacity for the hospitals in, in a not too distant future. If, if we're not really aggressive about this one thing, I, I don't know if we mentioned at the top, but this order is for now. And, and I guess since you and I last did an episode, the governor came out yesterday or the day before it's all running together in my head at this point day wise. Uh, but came out and said school will be out until uh, at least May 15th. And, um, and then that'll be evaluated. Then this order, uh, this Mecklenburg County city of Charlotte order is in effect until April 16th. Uh, and again, that's obviously something that can be modified as, as warranted, but. So a couple um, of points on that. And I got to talk to um, some school board members and just some others as well. I think what's ultimately going to happen there, and it, that's another group where literally right now, I think if, if you're thinking about your local government and the three main bodies, school board, county commission, and city council, um, while we are all buried and we've got all of our own kind of challenges and things we're trying to do, there are two bodies that are front and center with a lot of, a lot of impacts. And, and that is the county commission who then has the health director who you've seen a lot of lately they're making a lot of these calls. That's who made the call on the stay-at-home order. And then the school board and the school organizations, both there but then at the state level, are making these other decisions. So they're making cancellation decisions that are gut-wrenching and are going to have impacts. Businesses are going to be lost. Kids are maybe going to be held back or not graduate. I mean, that's unfathomable. The city has our own slew of problems and we're trying to solve. But I guess a point I'd make here, one, is 
when you're like, where's city council and the mayor standing up and showing leadership during these cancellations? I think it's important to know that like our role right now is to support, is to advise, but it's also, it's not to, right now we don't need governmental bodies following over each other and, and trying to jump in front of the spotlight to do it. And I'll give people like the mayor and others credit who very well are feeling pressure to be in that spotlight right now um, in, in kind of making sure that we don't ultimately take away from others there. But uh, those are some tough decisions that are being made. And that's something that uh, actually I responded to somebody on, on Twitter yesterday. They said, where's the mayor and all this? And I said, I can personally vouch for the work that she's done she's all through over the place. all of this. And she's just run herself ragged. Now I, I did say, look, there is a argument to be made that maybe she should be doing the work she's doing more publicly or more loudly. Um, that's not always her style. She's not necessarily looking for credit. She's looking for solutions. And that's, you know, that's my preference. However, um, I do think that I believe the city did a live stream maybe in the last hour or two with her talking about some of, of what's going on today. So I think, she, you know, she's taking that to heart. She's trying to make sure that people understand that there is a lot of work going on behind the scenes, but you know, we don't all need to be doing press conferences every day. We need to be hearing from the public health director on a regular basis. And we are, so, we need to hear at a state level from the governor and from the, you know, secretary of DHS uh, on a regular basis, which we are almost daily. So, I mean, we don't all need to be doing press conferences. I think our, our job, and there are numerous um, small group, phone calls going on. There's a lot of communication going on between bodies, between elected officials. Um, and I think the best thing we can be doing is sharing good information, which is what you and I are trying to do here. One of the other things I want to point out that's happened since we did an episode, um, again, I think it was yesterday. I don't, I don't know anymore. Uh, but we made an announcement that all cat service will be fee free um, starting now and, and going until uh, necessary, partly because Ridership is obviously very down. We've got a lot less people that are taking transit to get to work because they're either working from home or they're furloughed or, or currently unemployed. Um, but one other thing was we wanted to minimize those interpersonal interactions that can lead to transmission. And so we don't want the driver having to um, take payment from or interact with the customer necessarily right now. Um, and so people will be able to get on and off of, of buses or light rails, whatever, without paying any of the, the fees. Again, we people shouldn't be using transit unless they're using it to get to an essential service or um, a job that, that has been deemed essential. People shouldn't just be riding around for free because they can. This should be only if you need it. But um, that is there and that is free now for the foreseeable future. So let me jump in here, Larkin. I'd like to ask you to tee up a deeper conversation about um, – the nuances of what we're seeing inside this uh, stay-at-home order, um, some of the things that we're learning, some of the conversations we're having. But I would like to ask everyone listening, um, and then those who are listening at a later time, uh, to put inside the comments um, specific things that you're wondering, because um, there are so there there is definitive things to do, definitive things not to do, and then a whole wide swath of things that aren't mentioned there. So if you are one of those folks that, um, that, that is falling in that bucket and you're not exactly sure, put them in the comments. If we know it off the top of our head or based on where we are, we'll address it right now. But more than likely, I think what we're doing is compiling a list right now that um, we're going to take back to our partners at the county and others to see uh, what the definitive answer is. And I think um, as you're doing that, Larkin, I'm going to 
hand it over to you and probably do the first thing that you are going to do and say is share my screen and pop up the magic phone number. Yeah. And so that's the first thing people need to know. We've been getting a lot of questions because again, with the speed that this list had to be pulled together, this order had to be pulled together. Um, it is, it is not exhaustive in terms of what is expressly allowed and what is expressly prohibited. Um, so there will be undoubtedly questions. Um, so we're going to give you Tars got it up on the screen here uh, for those who are audio only the helpline. And this is a specific helpline for questions related to the Mecklenburg County stay at home order. The helpline is 704-353-1926. Again, 704-353-1926. Or you can go to mecnc.gov backslash COVID-19. That'll give you some answers to frequently asked questions. You can submit other questions there or call the helpline. That helpline, the Hours of that are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Larkin, why would somebody call this number? What is the main major purpose for that? So here are some of the questions I got today, um, some of which I didn't have answers to, and so I gave them this number. One, and I, I did get an answer to this, I was asked whether construction is going to be deemed an essential service. Construction will be allowed to continue for a multitude of reasons. Um, one, it's good for the economy. We Two, they're providing um, work on things like streets and, and they're providing a, a network essentially of infrastructure that we need for just normal operations of the city for our first responders for food delivery for whatever um two it's you know a lot of the work is outdoors and so it's not in a an enclosed space where transmission is as high of a risk and and you're not normally working right side by side in those circumstances so anyway construction will continue um, unless, you know, individual work sites decide not to, but that would be their prerogative. Other questions I got today. I have a friend who has got to travel to Virginia on Friday for a family member's funeral and said, what kind of proof do I need if I'm traveling outside of Mecklenburg County? Well, for right now, Mecklenburg County, and I believe maybe Pitt County are the only two counties that have made this local decision to do a stay at home order. Um, that could obviously change in, in the coming hours or days. But um, so that was a question I didn't immediately have an answer to. Does he need some sort of documentation to demonstrate where he's going? Uh, I know that in certain circumstances and in certain states that have done statewide shelter in place or stay at home orders, people will be provided with a letter or some sort of a formal, formal document that uh, demonstrates that they are an essential employer. They work in an essential sector or whatever, and, and that they can um, show that if need be. Uh, other questions I got involved production. Uh, I got questions from a brewery. I got questions from a food uh, production company. And they said, well, look, we're part of the, we're part of the supply chain for the grocery stores that obviously are one of the most critical services we have right now. Uh, will we be allowed to continue to operate? And um, so again, those were questions where I directed people to those hotlines and, and even had one from a, a fellow who works for Caterpillar and said, well, we provide repair service to construction sites, that'll certainly be necessary. Um, but then is our showroom allowed to be open if people are coming to look to buy new machinery? So those are the type of nuanced questions that obviously not every single one of them could have been anticipated when somebody was creating this list that's up in the frequently asked questions or the list that's um, provided there in the order itself. But we have this hotline, we have this website, you can go in and you can ask those really specific questions about your business or your circumstance and get those answers. Um, 
particularly right now, given the order just came out and that this number just went out, I think that um, people have had some trouble getting through. But just like with um, the unemployment line at the state, you know, they're normally dealing with 3,000 cases a week. This week, I think they had 80,000 or last week, rather. Um, some of these numbers are going to be jammed up. The blinds are going to be busy. It might take a little while to get through, but, you know, please be patient. Understand that um, these are just a call volume and a submission volume that people are not, uh, systems are not set up to handle and, and that they'll get to it as quickly as they possibly can. Again, if you have questions of your particular gray area that may or may not be directly addressed inside the stay-at-home order, uh, please put them in the comments. We'll go through before the end of the episode, look at them. We'll definitely compile them and get them answered for you. In the meantime, uh, one of the things I want to do, um, this was just reported, uh, and I'm going to share it with you, um, by Brett Jensen a couple seconds ago. So it's very new information, but... This shows us uh, up until yesterday, the trajectory we've been on in Mecklenburg County of COVID-19 cases. And you can see March 11th, we were at one. And, and I think the thing to remember here is these are formally reported cases. When you get to a more advanced stage in your city's rollout here, there will be a, a lighter gray bar or something behind this that are actual cases because a lot of them get reported or tested later and they date those back to the actual date that um, they first started experiencing symptoms. So we had one then all the way up to the last three days before yesterday, as of yesterday, 7480108, right? So you can see this really fast jump. And I think what you're ultimately gonna see when we have that retrospect view is um, they were much, much higher than this. The other piece of data is a breakdown uh, of, um, of age, sex, race, ethnicity, and hospitalization. And you can see um, the percentage in those breakouts. I think the thing that is super, super surprising to a lot of people, and quite frankly, if you thought you were, um, you were, uh, you know, had, a, had some kind of shield over you and immune to this because you were younger, 51.8% of people are between the ages of 20 and 39 in Mecklenburg County. And honestly, I'll count myself in the bucket of a person who thought that um, this was primarily uh, something that was going to be experienced by the older population. Now, take it for granted here in, in, in this that these are just reported cases, right? Clearly, another thing we have to prepare ourselves for nationwide, but also in Mecklenburg and, and North Carolina is um, – then the, ne the next stat that overlays on this as time passes, which is number of deaths. And nobody wants to think about that. It's a terrible thought. But ultimately, we're going to see that progression. And my deep, deep hope is, one, that, that we don't see as many as some other places around the world have seen. Um, but two, that younger people take heed that the, 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 the rumor and the myth that they can't be you know, in a negative way impacted by this to such an extent is not correct. And I've got a friend on Facebook who is not, uh, not even close to being old enough to be considered a high risk based on age. Um, and she's in the hospital right now posting pictures and her story. Um, and it's gut wrenching. I mean, this, this can have, you are less likely as a young person to have a really horrible reaction if, if you were to contract this virus. But again, you're also still spreading it to other people who are at high risk. Um, 
and frankly, if, if that kind of stuff doesn't matter to you, if you say, well, it's not going to hurt me so bad. If you don't care that it might hurt somebody else so bad and you might be the reason that somebody gets really sick or, or God forbid somebody dies, then you're just kind of an asshole. And you know, this in, in the big scheme of things, if, if we all got to stay at home for the most part over the next month or two in a lifetime, what, what difference does that make? That's not a, a big deal, but um, you know, the way that we will prevent having some of the, fatality numbers that we've seen in other parts of the country is not overwhelming our hospital system because when we get people into the hospital, they can be treated and in most cases probably can be saved. Uh, it will be when we get to the point that I believe Italy got to uh, two weeks ago or so where the hospitals do not have the capacity to deal with the people who need to be in them, that we will have people having to make decisions about who gets a ventilator, who gets a hospital bed and who doesn't. Um, so we had somebody that chimed in and asked about the enforcement of this order. Yeah, Mike said, Mike said read, read that not complying would be a misdemeanor. How will they enforce these rules? Would enforcement put police in more danger? That's a great question. What do you think, Larkin? Yeah, so I think that right now there's going to be an attempt to enforce this more through uh, education and, and seeking compliance. Not, we're not going to have police officers running around stopping everybody and asking what you're doing. But there will be an, an opportunity should the need arise for CMPD to issue a citation. <clears throat> I don't know exactly what that citation would be for. I assume there's some provision in the law that says non-compliance with a, an order, a stay in place order. Um, but again, I think that that's not the goal. This is not a way to, to generate um, revenue through fines. This is something where we want people to do the right thing, but now we're saying you have to. And so, you know, I anticipate that there will be circumstances where uh, people will be out. Um, if they are, if people are seen congregating and, and the police officer comes up and says, all right, guys, I don't know if you'd heard, we have an order in place. Um, you shouldn't be out here. You shouldn't be doing this, whatever if there's non-compliance at that point, I would expect that they would issue a citation. So I think that, um, you know, people would be given the opportunity to do the right thing. I don't think that we're going to have a bunch of um, vigilante officers running around just trying to be ticket writers. That's not what they want to do either. Here's what I think is going to happen on this. But it's point. an option. I think that it, to your very point, it's going to be more of a educate from a distance. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be getting away with a lot of stuff. However, if we have an, a third weekend in a row where there's a theme like one, it was mass exodus into the bars, two was mass exodus into the greenways and everyone's not practicing social distance. If we have the third weekend version of that, I think people might be having some serious conversations about what does the next level of enforcement look like? I, I don't love that at all, but it's a fact. Um, there's a question here about what if I'm, if, if someone's in the process of moving again, I think, this is at some level, and I know that this doesn't always work at some level, this should be a common sense thing. If you're moving, if, if you're loading or unloading a U-Haul truck uh, because you're moving into a new apartment or a new house, that's okay. I mean, whether it's expressly permitted in the order or not, um, there are certain things that people will just understand you need to do and you have to do, or you can't be moved. And so I think that, you know, people shouldn't be worried. This is not, uh, this is not martial law. We're not, this is nothing crazy. I think that what it is, is if you don't have a good reason to be out, then you shouldn't be out. Moving is a good reason. Having to go to Virginia uh, because of a family emergency is a good reason. 
but just going and you know what anecdotally I was hearing reports of was that because bars and restaurants uh, couldn't have in um, couldn't have service inside of the bars and restaurants, people were just having house parties. And so again, if, if you've got a, if you're having a big cookout and you got 50 people over half of them in your house and some of them in the backyard and that's not, you know, that's not in the spirit of what's going on here. So I, just because you couldn't be in a bar doesn't mean you should just go to your buddy's house and do the same thing. So there, there will be, if people call something like that in and there's just an, an arrogant dismissing of this order, then yeah, it is a crime and it, and it will be treated as a crime. So let um, me ask this question to you. But we want people to do the right thing. We're one not of the looking things to we write on tickets. This- what we, one of the th- things we do on this podcast is have real conversations. And while I've evolved to my position on this over time, um, this is definitely still a comment and a sentiment that's out there. Brian says it like this, and I, I'd love you to just, let's just have a very quick discussion on it. Right, right. So the recovery rate is expected to be what, 99%? Again, not trying to minimize the seriousness of the, this virus and how stealthy and aggressive it is and how it spreads and mutates. But I'm very curious on how this will shake out for anyone that actually does get it, who is relatively healthy, doesn't smoke, et cetera. My hope is 99.9% who get it will fully recover and we can get some sort of vaccines online over the next 12 months. So for people who aren't just ignoring this because it's not something that they're thinking about or care about, but is like Brian who is paying attention, who's seeing some stats, but you know, how, 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 do, you, how do you argue the, the, the counter to that point right now? I don't think that I can argue it as well as a scientist who's literally in the midst of it. And so I'll reiterate that, and I'm looking to see, because it's literally, it's not long. If you care enough about what's going on to be watching me and Tark right now, then you should care enough. Um, it is a 34 minute episode on tying it up with Tim Boyum, um, who hosts Capital tonight, his podcast, 34 minutes. You can hear from one of the lead scientists who talks about the work she's doing in the lab at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill to try to develop what will eventually be a vaccine for this. She also talks about the approval process for vaccines and why it doesn't happen quickly. And frankly, assuming we're going to have a, a vaccine that can be widely distributed and widely administered in 12 months is probably not realistic. And she talks about the process that vaccines have to go through and why that is. So I'm not going to make that argument. I'm just going to tell you there are people out there who have spent their entire life getting educated and trained to do this work and to understand what's going on right now in, in a health crisis and, you know, keyboard jockeys, you and I included should not be the ones people look to for um, medical advice. You're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I don't think the fellow who made that comment's a doctor and I'm not trying to disparage him or anybody else. But the fact of the matter is there are experts out there who can explain all of why this is different than the flu. They can explain why this is different than SARS and those resources are out there and people should utilize them. They should look to us as a resource for what's going on with city services. How is the city and how is local government reacting to this? We're not medical experts. Um, I can only trust the people who are, and I think other people should too. One thing that um, quickly plug, because I love plugging the CLT plus app. Um, Renee just pointed out in the comments that CLT plus has added to our app, a feature where people can report, um, violations of the order. If your neighbor's having a 50 person cookout, like the one I just mentioned earlier, uh, you can report that and someone can come and again, hopefully just try to educate them and say, this is not what, this is not allowed right now. Um, and it would escalate if it, if, uh, compliance was not granted, I guess. So 
Larkin, I'd like to have one last topic that we just delve into before we close out this episode. And let's bring it back to um, small business. I think, you know. It, and before it, we do that, just one other quick question. Does the county commission have the right to do this? Um, the county health director does have the right to do this. And so there, everything that was done today, and frankly, there was concurrence amongst the municipalities, city of Charlotte included, that this was the right decision. So this is not something they went rogue and did, though uh, there, as best we understand it, there is the authority to do this. So yes. So this raises question. a good question before we move on to this last topic. Why, why, was, why was it necessary for a couple counties to do this if this truly was the right move and this not be a governor and a statewide um, uh, mandate? I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming, but again, each county is unique. And for Mecklenburg, where we have the most cases of any county in the entire state, and half our state doesn't have cases yet, I, I would have liked to have seen it be a statewide order. Uh, and frankly, I'd have liked it to have been in coordination with South Carolina and Virginia and Tennessee. But um, it wasn't. And I think that we realized we had a unique circumstance that required maybe more more significant action more quickly. And so I'm fine with the fact that that happened. I think other counties will likely follow suit with uh, what we did. And again, I believe it was Pitt County also did yesterday. And I think a state order could be coming. That's not any inside intel I have. It's just seeing the writing on the wall from what other states are doing. And now counties making these decisions individually. Once every county in the state has a case, which undoubtedly will be, not be too far from now, um, I, th I think we'll see. I don't even think it'll take that long. So let's end on the, the topic of business and particularly small business. Um, clearly, I mean, that has been the most gut-wrenching part of the last week, of the last couple of days, and particularly today as this order became known and more companies who are just barely hanging on by a string um, are, are now completely cut, cut off from, from the ability for, to even exist in their own minds in a lot of cases. So um, I, I would say... Point number one, from my perspective, and let's just dive into what we can do, what, what things we can take on in the next week to continue this forward. Point number one is people in Congress need to get off their ass and they need to get something done. They need to figure this out and this partisan bickering and this just ridiculousness that's going on. Meanwhile, people are down in the trenches and their business world is crumbling around them. Their lives are crumbling around them. Literally, we're going to see people dying because of this. So they need to figure out how to not try to push forward the agendas and everything that has cut this country up for so long and just get the right thing done and create a program that doesn't get abused, but then sends a lifeline for something brand new and net new there. And then the second point I'd make, and Larkin, I'd be interested in your perspectives here as well, is locally, we need to come together like we've never come together before and figure out how it is that we can provide resources, provide platforms. It isn't, doesn't all have to necessarily be money. I've been using this one example because it, it's an easy one, which is we've got a local company, at least I haven't touched base with him in a couple of days. Hopefully he's still there. Manolo's Bakery, who is baking local bread and is coming up with ways where you can safely get it from him while our chain grocery stores have empty bread aisles. Like that's the kind of thing that we can help to make sure some, some place like Manolo's exists when this is all done. So uh, we're working on a number of things right now. I'm working with the, on the city front with the ED committee on how can we do 
the beginning of a small business public forum where we get information in to things in the private sector with different companies and the FinTech hub and other things to provide local support as well. Larkin, you, you are directly in an industry, like for, for argument's sake, the FinTech industry, while there's many places that are getting pummeled, um, is in a position to help. There's opportunity all around to create solutions in a world where we can't physically be around each other that solve people's problems. Not so in the hospitality and tourism industry, in the spirits industry that you're part of right now, which is getting hammered in, in a different way. Um, just more broadly on my points, but particularly in your industry. Yeah, I mean, my industry specifically, the alcohol industry is doing is doing okay because of all of the off-premise sales. All the people that are buying beer and wine and grocery stores are buying spirits in the ABC stores. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of lost business with the, the bars and restaurants and hotels, but it's really those bars and restaurants and hotels um, that I'm most worried for. And I, I think there will there will be a lot of businesses that don't make it out of the other side of this. And that's pretty uh, that's pretty terrifying if you're that business owner, if you're one of the managers there, or even if you're um, just an employee there. You know, it's scary to think that that job won't be there for you when this is done. And and if you're that owner that put their you know, blood, sweat, and tears and life savings into a business, then it's pretty terrifying to think that, that all that could be for naught because of a, a health scare that no, no one could have seen coming, I don't think. And so, um, you know, I, there are ways, it's been encouraging, I think, to see the amount of people who've come up with ways to rally around small businesses. And I think for the hospitality industry in particular, now, obviously, that's top of mind and a lot of people in my Facebook feed are, are members of the hospitality and service industry, but the funds that have been created, the um, programs that have been created, people pulling together exhaustive lists of every place that's doing takeout and delivery so that people can, um, can surf through there and figure out what they're going to do for lunch or dinner and support a local business. The thing that is, is going to be more problematic is, you know, the barber I go to at the end of my street, he can't do delivery. He can't do takeout. Um, he, you know, I, I go to a barbershop where a guy just went off on his own, renovated an old, uh, like 60 year old barbershop on central Avenue. What's he supposed to do? There's not really a way for him to do an online concert. Like a musician, he cannot go do an online haircut. He can't do a delivery haircut. He can't come to your house and cut your hair. Um, I would imagine stuff like that could, could jeopardize his license. So how do we help people like that? If you are all these services, uh, different type of service industries that were closed off yesterday with some restrictions at statewide things like uh, massage therapists, hair salons, nail salons. Um, there's not really a way for those people to transition into an e-commerce or a delivery type uh, economy if that's what we're in for the next month or two. And so we do need to your point, the folks in Washington, especially to um, not use this on either side as an opportunity to try to advance other uh, other wants and wishes, but get something done. Those are all fights that can be fought another day. Um, people need relief. Businesses need relief. And frankly, a lot of the state decisions I think that are going to be made are predicated on the federal decisions that are made. And so the sooner that the people can get something done in Congress, the sooner from a state level we can get programs set up and it, it will all kind of roll downhill from there. So, um, you know, both um, McConnell and Pelosi today seem to think they're on the, uh, the, I think five yard line was what McConnell said or something. Um, let's hope so because the American people are not going to care, you know, 
the average person is not going to care why it didn't get done. They're just going to know that it didn't get done. Um, one chamber is democratically controlled. One chamber is republicanly controlled. Republican controlled. And I think that at the end of the day, they're just going to blame Congress. And um, I sent one of the members of the North Carolina delegation. I was texting with them yesterday and I, I was someone on a different side of the aisle for me, but I said, look, we're all cheering for success back home because we got people who are dying down here. I mean, not, I don't mean in a health sense, but I mean, businesses that are dying right now and people that are bleeding dry that can't make it two, three weeks uh, without making a mortgage payment or making a rent payment or um, making a payroll. There's a lot of business owners that say, well, I can't pay my employees um, if I don't get some relief, if I don't get some help quickly. And so it's a lot of people depending on that relief and um, they need it sooner than later. Agreed. Fully agreed. Listen, there hasn't been a lot of smiles. This podcast is normally supposed to be funny and it hasn't been a lot of humor in our, in our day to days, but let's end the the, the program on, uh, hopefully you've seen this. Um, have you seen this thing on the national cowboy museum, Twitter account? Please tell me you've seen it. No. This, everyone's tightening up. And this guy, like, first of all, they get like no follows or anything. He's, he says on March 17th, hello, my name is Tim and I'm the head of security for the cowboy. He's, so he's their head of security for this National Cowboy Museum. And he was asked to take on the additional duty of social media management while the museum is closed. So, so he spent all, like this has gone viral and he's like going around and he's like, uh, he says, this is like the, the, the hat the Duke wore in true grit. He's like, my grandson Lucas told me that, uh, uh, told me to use hashtags. Thanks, Tim. So then he starts going up here and he's like, hashtag John Wayne. <laughs> All right. So you, we'll put the, put the uh, link to that on the R and D and the QC Facebook this. page. Gotta follow this. All right. Send me the link. I'll, I'll add that up on the Facebook page. Sure. But, sure. Um, so, you know, again, if people have other questions, you can put them in the comments now, or if you're listening to this later, feel free to do that. Um, use that, use that helpline. There are answers there, but we're certainly happy to try to help you with some of the specifics. But again, use common sense. If you can avoid, if you can avoid being out, avoid being out. And, um, you know, I think this is only going to get, I think people are only going to tighten the reins even more in county to county and state to state over the next couple of weeks. Um, we ought to all be prepared for that. And the, the sooner we all start doing the right thing collectively, the sooner this thing will be over. All right. Well, final word, Larkin, before we close this thing out. Just everybody uh, take care of your mental health. Do anything you can think of to help your your neighbors and your local businesses. And um, just uh, Charlotte Strong, baby. That's right. Well, we're thinking of you, everyone. Stay strong out there. Uh, this was episode 95 of R&D in the QC. Larkin and I are pleased to be able to keep the podcast going, even though um, things have become virtual. So we'll see you next week. Peace.